Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. You ever heard that phrase, you don't know me? You know, so you're talking with somebody and you're in a conversation and like, you don't know me. Um, or you're at the mall shopping somewhere and you hear somebody say it, they're in an argument. Dude, you don't know me. What you trying to do? I got to thinking about that and the idea is, I guess, usually when somebody says, you don't know me, what they're saying is, hey, you've kind of prejudged me. You've kind of made conclusions about me without even really knowing who I am. The truth of the matter is when somebody says, hey, you don't know me, they're saying it because there isn't any evidence that you really know them. You're missing the mark when it comes to knowing them. On the other hand, if you really did want to know somebody, there would probably be the means by which you would do that, right? You would spend time with them. You would probably ask questions of them. You would make observations about their, their lives. You would want to hang out with their family. You would probably want to go to events that they like to go to. You would find out their likes, their dislikes, on and on, right? I remember reading the scripture here this week. At one point, Jesus turns to a man who had been with him for three years. He turns to him in, in a moment of vulnerability, and he says to this man, he says, have I been with you this long and you still don't know me? So I'm going to ask you kind of up front, I mean, do you know Jesus? I mean, have you been living and calling yourself a Christian and even maybe coming to church for a really long time, but do you know Jesus? Not do you know about him, but do you know him? Could it be that Jesus may say to you, you don't know me? You see, we're in this study of Philippians, right? And this is the joyous advancement of the gospel, the good news about how we can know Jesus. And Paul tells us today in our, in our text that, hey, the, the passion of my life is that I really want to know Jesus, but I want to know him more and more and more. Paul says knowing Christ is the passion of his life. It's better than anything else. And I dare say that I believe Paul. I believe Paul because I see it in his life, and that's kind of what we talked about last week, right? We, we talked about this idea that, that there would be marks, there would be evidence in my life if I know someone, but also, more particularly, if I know Jesus, there would be marks in my life. But how does that happen, I guess, is the question. Justin wanted to tell you kind of how we came to this point with Kirsten. You may be here asking the same question. Maybe you're driving in your car by way of radio. Maybe you're in another country sitting in your living room listening to this online, and you're saying, well, then how do I really know this Jesus? Well, that's a great question. I want to take us to the Bible again as we're kind of in Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 yet again as we're in part 2 of this message to know Christ. I'm going to be reading in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and to this morning, we're going to move past the marks of what it would look like if I knew Christ to talk about this morning. What are the means by which I do so? 
So if you've got a copy of God's Word, man, you can open it up. We're going to stand together and we're going to read this. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can see it on the screen behind us or there's a Bible in the seat pocket kind of close to you. And you can take that one home as our gift to you if you so choose. But let's begin reading in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, finally, my brethren, what does he say, church? Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself, Paul says, might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may be gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. God bless your word. You may be seated. Last week, we talked about this, right? That I can demonstrate the marks of knowing Christ. We, we kind of talked about that. One of the things that we talked about is, is that if I know Christ, Paul says there'd be a deep work in my soul. It wouldn't be just this outward conformity to a religious ritual called circumcision. We could say that, or even baptism, or whatever it would be, that there has to be, first of all, this deep work in my soul, and then we talked about there's going to be a divine worship in the Spirit, right? That Paul says we are the ones who worship in the Spirit of God. So when Kirsten came to know Christ by faith, the Spirit of God came inside of her, and that Spirit inside of her does what? Now leads her to worship God in the Spirit. And then there's this devoted wonder of the Son we talked about. Paul says we not only worship in the Spirit, but we give glory in Christ. And we know there's nothing good in us. There's nothing that happened in us that's apart from Jesus. And we just continually wonder at the awe of who he is. And then we also said there's a daily dying to self, that we can put no confidence in anything that we bring, whether it's rituals or relationships or respectability or race or even religion or reputation or even our own righteousness, that we can put no faith in that. It has to be all in Jesus and all in Jesus alone. Well, this morning, let's look at really how that happens. And how does it happen that I can have these marks that I know Christ? How can I really know Christ? And the way that we summarize that is to say this, that I can deploy the means of knowing Christ. I can deploy the means of knowing Christ. You see, Paul spent his life, if you think about that, reading that text, if you'll think about what happened, Paul spent his life accumulating what he imagined was personally earned righteousness that would help him achieve right standing with God. But when Paul met Jesus, he realized that everything he had been doing religiously were actually not in the gain column, they were in the loss column. And Paul exchanged all of that religious activity 
for righteousness that comes from God based on faith in Jesus. And that exchange is the theme of this passage. He says, hey, here's what it looks like to know Christ this way, but let me tell you how. Well, how do you do that, Paul? Well, first of all, I can look to Christ for a declaration of righteousness. I can look to Jesus for a declaration of righteousness. If you notice there in verse 7, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. Now, you might not know this, but when he says there that, that whatever things were gained to me, that, that's an actual plural verb. It's in all the things that I think are gained to me. Everything that I think gained is really loss. Then he says, but, but whatever things were gained to me, he's contrasting. Everything that I thought I had gained in my flesh through religious activity, he's going to contrast that starkly with things that are found only in Jesus. And he says, then I count all things. That's a mathematical term. In other words, Paul's saying, when I added this up, this column of everything I did and everything that Jesus did, I found out that everything I did was really negative. There's no credit that goes on my account. It's, it's, it's all debits. When I add it up, Paul says, everything that I thought was gain was actually lost and actually was counted against me. And trying to figure out all that he gained by all that religious activity, he realized that he was in debt. Now, compared to knowing Christ, he says, everything is lost, verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost and the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He's saying more than that. That means another contrast. Religious credits, in other words, Paul is teaching, Religious credits, doing religious things, saying prayers, coming to church, giving money, religious things don't impress God apart from Christ. He's saying there's something far better. Paul says it's the surpassing value of knowing Christ. When I think about surpassing value, for me, I think I'm out on I-71 or maybe 77, and I'm doing 75, and I'm in my little car, and I'm just driving along, and here comes, man, a Porsche or a Corvette or a Ferrari going 150. Shoo! Man, the surpassing value of Christ is what he's talking about. Man, he just leaves everything else in the dust. Knowing Jesus is everything to Paul. Not knowing Christ, he says, is far better than religion and religious activities, but he says to know Christ. That word to know doesn't mean intellectual knowledge. It means experiential knowledge. In other words, it's about a personal relationship. And to help us, he makes a very stark contrast, and bear with me. Bear with me. Paul says in verse 8, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul says, compared to knowing Jesus, everything else is rubbish. He says that all religious stuff is rubbish. And, and bear with me, because I'm not trying to be offensive but the word there in the Hebrew and in the Greek that's translated even from the Septuagint into the Greek in those versions, the word is really dung. Paul says that it's animal or human excrement. He's saying compared to knowing Jesus, everything is just animal droppings. Some may think that using this language in church is inappropriate, but the Bible uses it, so therefore I'm going to. Because Paul is making a point. The vulgarity of the term is deliberate. As Paul wants to strike in us the worthlessness of all our efforts apart from Jesus, it's all just animal droppings compared to knowing Jesus. 
You can have a personal relationship with Jesus that will eternally satisfy you, or you can have a pile of dung. That's what he's saying. And I'm choosing Jesus, amen? Which do you prefer, the dung of religious self-efforts, the rubbishness of all that, or the earthly praise and possessions, or the eternal joy of knowing Jesus as your Savior? Paul made his decision, and he's trying to help us choose wisely. He's trying to echo the words that Jesus says in Matthew 16 when Jesus says, what will it benefit a man if he gains the entire world yet loses his soul? Here's the rub. Here's the rub. Most of us have no trouble, including me. Most of us have no trouble admitting that our sins really stink. But secretly, many think that our good deeds help balance everything out. One pastor friend of mine says it this way. He says, it's not our attitude towards sins that foul us up. It's our attitude towards our own goodness that messes us up. We must realize that everything we bring to the table is nothing but rubbish, Paul says. It's only Jesus and knowing him that counts, Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, John 17. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God, John says, and Jesus whom you have sent. It's knowing Jesus, 1 John 5, 20. In the first epistle, John declared, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him is true. In his son, Jesus, that is the true God and eternal life. You see, salvation, friends, comes from a personal, relational knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about this. We can know people differently, right? You know people differently. Sometimes we know them historically. Sometimes we know people like Abraham Lincoln or, or George Washington or Shakespeare in a historical fashion. Our knowledge of these people is drawn from history, but we also can know people contemporaneously, right? Some of us know who Tom Brady is. Some of us know who Governor Abbott is. Some of us may know who LeBron James or Justin Bieber or Lady Gaga or Blake Shelton or Willie Nelson. We, we know those folks because we live in the times that they live in. New facts are coming about by them every day, but all of our knowledge is usually drawn from knowing them contemporaneously, but still from a distance. We can also know people contactually. That's how we relate to the teller at the bank. That's how you know the clerk in the store. That's how many of us know our neighbors. We have contact with these people and our lives touch, but our relationships never go beyond really what we call surface level. Then also we know people experientially. You see, I know my wife and children experientially. I know special friends in my life experientially. That kind of knowledge comes from personal, intimate experience and intimate communion with them. And this is the knowledge that Paul is talking about here when he says to come to know Jesus. Don't know him just as a historical figure. Don't think that just because you're a Christian and it's the thing of the times, I know him even contemporaneously. Please, you may have had contact with another believer and think that you know Christ. Don't know him contactually. Know him experientially today. He says, this is the kind, in verses 7 through 10, to, to know, this is the way that we know Jesus. It means knowing him, though, Paul says, to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, he tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 what this means. That if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. For what? The Bible tells us this. From with the heart a person believes, Right? resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So Paul says, verse 9, 
that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Wow, you know what this really means? That knowing Jesus means that I trust him for my righteousness. That's what this means. In his list of previous accomplishments, Paul said, in regard to righteousness, he was found blameless. But see, Paul couldn't even live up to his own idea of what sinless perfection was. Listen to me very carefully. Paul, like us, needs somebody else's righteousness in order to be justified before God. We need somebody else's righteousness because our own is just done. You're hearing me. You see, here's the problem. Only righteous people are going to heaven. And there's none righteous. No, not one. Therefore, we have to have another source of righteousness. And that's why the gospel is good news. Jesus wants to give us his. This is awesome. Paul says here in Philippians 3 and elsewhere that believers have received the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ alone. Big word here, that's called imputed righteousness. That means that that I get something put in me that I didn't have before. That's the opposite of works-based righteousness. It's the opposite of self-righteousness. That's all rubbish. I need the righteousness of another, an alien righteousness. I need God's righteousness. So then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, hey, God made the one, meaning Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. Christ received the punishment that he never deserved and he never sinned, but he took my punishment and I receive all the righteousness even though I've sinned and I don't deserve it. Praise God, because Paul says what that means is, is when I get Jesus' righteousness, not a righteousness of my own, I put my faith in him. He says in verse nine, he says this, that I am found in him. Woo, man. You know what that means? When I trust Christ for, for my righteousness, I am found in Jesus. That means that then God sees me through the righteousness of Jesus. That means that I am protected from judgment against my unrighteousness because I have been accepted by God based on Christ's righteousness. No better news exists. You know what we're really talking about here? I want to put another big word out for you. It's called justification. Some define justification, and rightly so, just as if I'd never sinned. When I come to Christ, God sees me as if I'd never sinned. I want to go further today to help you understand what this really means. We can't just stop there. It's not just as if I've never sinned. It's also just as if I've always obeyed. That's something to give God praise for because I know I haven't always obeyed. See, we've not just gone from from negative to neutral. We've gone from negative to positive when we get Jesus' righteousness. Justification, though, is a gift from God. He says there, though, it comes from God on the basis of faith. You don't earn that. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. It comes from God because God loves me and wants relationship with me. He gives me Christ's righteousness so that I can be in his presence. Well, how do I get it if it's a gift? I want to get in line for that. Where do you go? Well, you go to this thing called faith. He says it's righteousness that's received by faith in Christ. It's received on the basis of faith in verse 9. 
Salvation doesn't depend, praise God, on my record. <laughs> Salvation doesn't depend on my rank, my ethnicity, my religious attendance, my good deeds or my bad deeds. My salvation and my righteousness depends on faith in Christ alone and his perfect righteousness alone. Justification is God's work appropriated by faith. I trust what God has done through Christ. I just trust that I ask for it and I receive it by faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to know Jesus. You see, this is how infinitely different Christianity is from every other religion. In other systems, you and I have to do all the work and hope that somehow we appease God. In Christianity, Jesus did it all. And we don't have to do anything but trust what he did. Hallelujah, praise God. While this is true, though, there are many people who think that there's somewhere between a really good person and a mass murderer. Right? They, they think that somehow God grades on a curve. But Paul says, hey, man, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So here we've got an A student, but yet he still failed. Because even the most astute still need Jesus. Paul says, and when I trusted Jesus, I was found in him. You see, we could illustrate it this way. I want you to pretend that this piece of paper that I hold in my hand represents your life and all that you would ever do and ever ever done. The Bible says that when I come to Jesus that I'm found in him. What that means is, is that I take my life and if I come to Jesus and I put my faith in him, the Bible says then that I am found in him and I can no longer be seen that God looks at me now through the lens of Jesus' righteousness and not my own. I am found in him, praise God. He remembers my sin no more. It has been washed as far as the east is from the west, amen. Never more to be brought up in remembrance. And he sees me just as he sees Christ. I am found in Jesus, hallelujah. I get the gain of Christ's righteousness when I come to him. That's what it means, that I look to Christ for a declaration of righteousness. But Paul, tell us what else do you mean? Well, he's, the second idea is the means of knowing Christ is simply this, that I can love Christ in deeper relationship. You see, once we come like Kirsten and place our faith in Jesus, man, that's a lot of love, and we're like super grateful. We're just in love with this Savior, but it doesn't stop there. It keeps getting better because Paul says in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The idea here it is again, knowing Jesus is the overwhelming passion of those who truly have come to know him. They want to know Jesus more and more. They're not just satisfied with just Sunday church. It's gotta be Jesus. And then we want to know the power of his resurrection. Did you know that when we get up from the dead, well, when we picture that in Kirsten's baptism, when we got up from the dead, it's because we have power living in us now. It's resurrection power. We're no longer slaves, amen. We are children of God. Believers have the same power in us that raised Jesus from the dead that we desire and to please God. We can be after his pleasure based on this power. It's the work in us. This power is what helps makes us holy. It's the power to understand God's will and his great love. This power helps us endure all things. But can I tell you, Paul says that this power comes through the fellowship of his sufferings. It's most often displayed in dying to self and sin. 
If I have to continue to go to Jesus, that means some things. When I go to him and go to his word, I have to rely on his spirit more and more. And I have to rely on that more and more through the power of his resurrection in me. It'll only come through knowing Jesus more, studying his word, praying, desperation of the Holy Spirit in my life. And as I do that, I experience him more. As I experience him more, I see that he loves me more. As I see that he loves me more, I respond and love with him more. And I go deeper and deeper daily in relationship with Jesus. But you see, here's where it gets tricky again, because this is where we lose most people. The power to know Jesus is usually revealed and experienced through suffering. And that's the part of Christianity that we don't like. That's a matter of fact why many people leave Christianity is because they can't explain how God allows suffering. But did you know that you're probably not going to experience Jesus more and more unless you suffer? I mean, it's just biblical. It's just the truth. I'm not signing up for it, but I kind of did when I came to Jesus. Amen. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Paul says this power is revealed through the fellowship of his sufferings. That flies in the face of these prosperity theologists. If you're a fan, I'm going to call him out. Yes, I will. If you're a fan of Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, and the crew there, Creflo Dollar, this is going to fly right in the face of this because I'm telling you this. Jesus says the way that you're going to know him more and more is to suffer, not get rich quick. I just need you to understand this today. You, you can't just have faith and I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and have no trials. What Bible are they read? Because this Bible says here, it's through the fellowship of his sufferings, amen. Christianity is this. When I come to Christ, I am coming to lay down my life for him. Beloved, it is impossible to look like Jesus, to be his disciple, and to know him apart from fellowshipping with his sufferings. If following the man of sorrows if I'm going to follow him, then I'm going to go where he went, and he went through suffering, friends. I'm going to follow Jesus all the way to Calvary if I'm going to follow him. If I want to know Christ more than anything in this life, then it's through suffering, and that's the way I know him better. Then actually when suffering comes, I realize this makes me know him better, therefore it's worth it. Beloved, to know Christ involves death to self and suffering. Did you know that Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, he said this, very familiar words to you as a church. If anyone wants to come after me, what did he say, church? He must what? Deny himself. Tell me. Take up his cross. How often? And do what? I don't think we're hearing that this morning. See, coming to Jesus don't mean you just get your life all better and everything's a bed of roses. Led a precious lady to the Lord a couple of weeks ago after service, and I told her, hey, your life's going to get worse. And she looked at me kind of weird. Because I'm just telling you the truth. You think coming to Jesus is going to make it all better. It ain't. You're gonna, you, it's going to be worse. There's a better coming. This life, you're going to suffer. Your dreams. See, when I come to Jesus, I have to lay down my dreams. I have to lay down everything that I think I ever wanted. I have to lay down my sinful desires. I have to turn it over and I have to take it to Jesus. I have to run to Jesus because Jesus knows all about death and suffering. And so when I'm hurting, I go to people who understand and give me advice and give me help. And that's what we're to do because Jesus is the best at this. He suffered more than anybody. So when I run to him and he comforts me and he helps me, he loves me. When I'm loved by him, I love him in return. And when I find somebody that I love, I will suffer for them. Amen. See, the means of knowing Christ is loving him in deeper relationship and looking to him for declared righteousness. And lastly, 
I can long for Christ in a destined resurrection. Amen. I don't know. I just want to see by a show of hands. And if you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay, too. I understand people didn't wear deodorant today. It's okay. <laughs> now, listen to me very carefully, man. If you're looking forward to seeing Jesus, could you just lift your hand up real quickly? Now, all your hands, you can put them down. I want to tell you something. He's coming back, church. He's coming back. And I pray to God it happens today. Amen. Even so, come Jesus. Woo, y'all ready for that? Come on, we're going to meet each other up in the air. It's going to be on like Donkey Kong, amen? It's going to be all that and a bag of Chick-fil-A even on Sunday, amen? <laughs> Y'all all right? Amen. Praise God. I love it. Hey, Paul says that he says there in verse 10, he says, I mean, verse 11, he says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Well, Paul, wait a minute. <laughs> if you just said all that and now you're just hoping, <laughs> bro, what are you doing? It sounds like Paul is saying that he hopes that if he just works hard enough, he could be saved and find that resurrection. But that's not what's happening because Paul has no doubt in his eternal destiny. He's the one who told us in the beginning of this book that he who began a good work will be what? Faithful to complete it. He's also the same person that told us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So Carson says that maybe Paul, what he's doing here is he's saying this is really about the timing of when this is going to happen. Paul says, hey, you know what? As I taught the Thessalonians, I could be living and the rapture takes place and guess what? I get, I get raised up. Or Paul is saying, you know what? I may have to go through death and then I'll get called up. It doesn't really matter. Paul is saying that it's really this. Here's the point. Don't miss the point. It's knowing Jesus that assures my resurrection. It's knowing him. And Paul says, if knowing him means that I get more assured that I'm going to be resurrected, then I want to know him more. I want to know him more. And you and I should what, long for that glorious end, that final resurrection when we get to see Christ. Paul, in the book of Philippians, I want you to see this. Over in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he says this. This is a good word. Some of y'all need to hear this like I did this morning. <laughs> for our citizenship is where, church? Good night, man. I'm going home, amen. <laughs> Which we also eagerly wait for a Savior. Who is he? The Lord Jesus, who would transform the body of our humble state into what? Conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that even he has to subject all things to himself. Listen to me. You and I have a taste of that glory now, but we've not experienced it in its fullness. When we come to Jesus, we get a knowledge of Jesus, and as we suffer and die to self, we know him more. But there's coming a day when we will see him face to face and know him even as we're fully known. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but praise God, then face to face. And now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. Woohoo, man, praise God. There's coming a day, church. What do believers gain by their identity in Christ? Well, it's our righteousness in Christ. It's imputed to us. It makes us just before God. I get the power of God to continue to be made holy. I participate in the sufferings of Christ, sharing in Christ's sufferings that I may share in his resurrection. No wonder Paul said everything else is considered rubbish. Everything else, there's nothing compares to knowing Jesus. You know, when I was young, I went to the beach for the first time. And I looked out at that majestic ocean and in what part of the country I'm from, there's lots of beautiful countryside behind me. And as I looked out there, man, my little eyes saw these dolphins just jumping over these endless waves, man. And it was awesome. And me being so young, I was scared at first to get in. 
But then as little boys do, of course, I stuck my foot in and began to run back and put my foot in and run back, put my foot in in a big loud way, scared me for about two hours. And finally, I got back out there until one day, right, the wave finally took me over, and I realized, oh, this is fun, and boys love to play in the sand, and I was there. And the next thing you know, I was out there swimming in that bad boy. But can I tell you this? I never, never got to experience all the ocean. I got to experience this little bitty place on one coast in a, probably a 10-foot area that my mama would let me play in. I never got to go out into the deep. I only got to go where it would be safe. I never covered the bottomless glory of this ocean. There's so much more to know about the ocean. And Paul is saying in this passage that there's an ocean of glory in Christ Jesus for us to know and experience. Paul was never bored with knowing Christ. He wanted to know him better and better. He traded his self-righteousness for God's perfect righteousness through faith in Christ. He possessed Christ's resurrection power. He knew Christ better and better, and by suffering for Christ, thus he rejoiced in his suffering. And Paul anticipated a resurrection that would enable him to know his Savior even better. And what Paul is teaching us is, is let's not be content with just hanging out on the shore. Let's get in. And let's know him more. And let's go where it's not safe. And let's just push in. There's a whole ocean of his glory to figure out. And beloved, we won't ever fathom to know how that is on this side of the, the, what, death. But when we die, man, it'll be all open to us. Can Can I tell you, nothing, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. I can look to Christ for a declaration of righteousness. I can love Christ in deeper relationship. I can long for Christ in his destined resurrection. And as my band begins to make their way here, can I tell you something? See, Charles Templeton, you may not know him, but he's named famous in Christendom back in the 1960s. Charles Templeton pastored a large church in Toronto, Canada. And he helped found what some of you may know is Youth for Christ. Charles Templeton's close friend and co-worker back in was none other than the famous evangelist Billy Graham. But in the 1960s, Templeton left the ministry not because of some moral failure, but due to a denial of his faith. You see, Charles Templeton couldn't understand that God would allow suffering in the world, and that dilemma led him to deny that God even existed. Templeton went on to become the editor of two of Canada's largest newspapers, even ran for prime minister of Canada. While interviewing Templeton, now in his 80s, Lee Strobel, some of you may know him, he's a famous journalist, he asked Templeton about his denial of a belief in God, and Templeton was just like unmoved and spoke of why he could not accept the God of the Old Testament. Then Strobel asked him what he thought about Jesus. And it was that point that Templeton bowed his head and began to cry. And through uncontrollable sobs, he turned to Strobel and he says, Jesus... I really miss him. See, Temple's old friend, Billy Graham, was also interviewed. And Joe Stoll, a famous pastor out in Chicago, asked him what he had valued the most through his many years of ministry. And you would have thought that he would have cited the times with his influence on presidents and heads of state over the five decades that he was there preaching the gospel to all kinds of people in the world. But Graham said with this determined softness in his voice, He said, what means the most to me beyond a shadow of a doubt has been my fellowship with Jesus. To be able to walk with him, to hear from him, and to have his guidance and presence in my life has been and will always be my greatest joy.
Think about it. One man chose to stay with Jesus and later on found his greatest joy is still in that relationship. But the other, having denied Jesus in spite of a celebrated life, felt the loss deeply of Jesus. So what about you? If you were to evaluate your life and look back on those things that you count as being valuable, what would they be? Are you counting on a respected position in our community? Are you counting on a nice-sounding job title? Are you looking to just like a good salary with enviable perks? <laughs> Do you think this growing popularity among your peers at school I mean, is it a, a, a wall or like a, a whole counter in your office covered with all these awards? Is it a fine automobile? Is it is a wardrobe full of an elegant, stylish clothes? Is it a, a nice home, maybe a little summer place on the lake? I mean, what, what, is, what, is, you, what is your life placing value in? Can I tell you that I have done a lot of funerals in 27 years of ministry? I can tell you this, there is a stark difference between the funeral of a believer and the funeral of someone who doesn't know Jesus. It is as different as day is from night. You see, when we place an unbeliever in the ground, whatever seems so important to them during their life, all of a sudden it's not that important anymore. Because here's what really happens. death, all that really counts is whether you knew Jesus or not. You see, it's only that relationship that really has any value. So in the best way I know how this morning, I just want to ask you personally, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Because if you don't, today's a great day. All you have to do is do something similar to what Kirsten did. You, you, right now, in this moment, when I'm even talking to you, I know that the Holy Spirit has already been at work on your heart. I know that right now, you're probably experiencing something we call conviction over sin. You're saying, well, what do I do about that? I mean, how do I become right with God? How do I know that I have a home in heaven? How do I know this Jesus? Well, that thing that's going on in your heart right now, if it's not making you want to turn from your sin, then this really ain't for you. But if there's this burden in your heart that says, man, I'm a sinner. I realize right now that I have been, I'm a sinner before God, that I am separated from God and I deserve his judgment. If something like that's going on in your heart, all you need to do is simply just turn to Jesus. God, I have no righteousness of my own. Jesus, I'm coming to you for every bit of righteousness. I have none. And you just tell God in your own words, I believe that you died to pay for my sin. I believe that you were buried to hide me in Jesus. And I believe that you were raised again to offer me life and that righteousness. And by faith right now, I ask for it and I want to receive it. 
If that's you today, listen to me, that is how you know Jesus. It's how you come to him. You come to him for his righteousness. Could it be this morning that Jesus might look to some of us in this room and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So believer, I want to ask you today, could it be said to you that Jesus might say to you what we started today? Could you be Philip and Jesus say, hey, listen, we've been doing this church thing for so long, but you still don't know me? Do you know Jesus? So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray. If you don't know Jesus, you can pray like that that we talked about, or you can come up here and grab some of us by the hand, and man, we'll be happy to let you know how to know Christ. Others of you, man, you're like, hey, man, I want to know Jesus more. I've kind of gotten off a little bit, and I want to get back, and I want you to do business with God. Others of you just might have a simple prayer request, and we can pray for you. Others might say, hey, man, I want to be baptized. I've never really been baptized. What's that all about? We'll come. We'll help you. Some of you may just want to turn to each other during this invitation and just love on each other and say, hey, brother, can I pray for you? Hey, sister, can I just lift you up? Can I encourage you? This is a time when we respond to what God has said, amen. So let me pray and you come. Lord God, I pray that today in this moment that you would be revealing yourself in greater ways to each and every one of us. If it's for the first time to come to you as Savior, would you do your work? it's to take us deeper because we've already known you. I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would show us your glory. I pray it in Jesus' name.